I, this is the second part of the sermon I preached a couple weeks ago, Oh, to be like thee. Sometimes you prepare a sermon and it just kicks you in the rear. Sometimes in more ways than one, you know, you're reading it and you're studying on it and you're uh, pricked in the heart because of what you're preparing. Sometimes it just kicks you in the rear because like the first lesson, I forgot page one. This lesson, I was kind of just glanced through it a minute ago and I completely forgot a line to cover a line, um, a portion of one of the verses. So this one's done it to me in two different ways. One, forgetting stuff and one, um, the application to uh, myself has been challenging. But the reason I, this song, I wanted to cover this song is because there's a lot of strong thoughts in there and strong ideas of what it means to be like Christ. And last time we started out talking about the 1990s commercial, Be Like Mike, you know, having a role model. And what better role model do we have than like Christ? And when we all know that when we come together to sing, we are supposed to sing with understanding and the truth. First Corinthians 14, 15 says, what is the conclusion then? I, I will pray with the Spirit, and I also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding. We have to understand what we sing. And this song's simple enough. It's got simple words, but some of those songs, literally, you read the song word, and you go, I'm going to look that up after the services, because you have no idea what that word might mean. One, it's either Old English, or it's just a different usage. This one's pretty simple. And I think this is a wonderful song has some powerful thoughts. Uh, since I lost page one, I'll give a, a little introduction to the uh, speaker or the uh, writer of it. Uh, it was written by Thomas O. Chisholm. He was born in Franklin, Kentucky in 1866, and his boyhood was, boyhood was spent on a farm and teaching in district schools. He was a director of a local paper for five years, and he was converted to Christianity. Now, this is not the church, but Christianity, Christendom, at the age of 26, and soon after was business manager for a Pentecostal Herod in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, he's written quite a, not a lot of songs, but a few. But his aim in writing was to incorporate as much scripture as possible and avoid flippant or sentimental uh, themes, which I think that's what any song needs to be, is avoiding flippant or sentimental things. So we did verses one and two. This is uh, also my first two-part sermon because there's so much meat in this one. And then again, with the kicking my rear, I realized that I haven't even covered the refrain. So there might be a part three. I don't know. But the third and first verse is here. He says, Oh, to be like thee, lowly in spirit, holy and harmless, patient and brave, meekly enduring cruel reproaches, willing to suffer others to save. You had hard-pressed to find a lot of people you can apply that verse to and apply that idea to. And then the last, last verse there, Oh, to be like thee, Lord, I am coming now to receive the anointing divine. All that I am and have I am bringing. Lord, from this moment, all shall be thine. So we're going to start there in verse 3. This is the first part. Lowly in spirit, this is completely what I left off. Um, what it means to be lowly in spirit. And when I think about that, I think about humble. You know, humble, or we, we go to uh, Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. You are a humble person, not that you're low or depressed or something like that, but you're humble. Um, and Jesus, he was the son of God. He was God incarnate that came down to this earth, yet he looked at it as essentially nothing. If you'll turn with me to Ephesians or Philippians chapter 2, we're going to read there in 5 through 8. Many of you probably are familiar with this verse or should be. Um, this is one of our memory verses for OABS. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, 
who, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. You've got somebody who has every right in the world to not be humble. This was God on earth, God in human form. He didn't have to be humble, but he was. And he is the best example for us to look at somebody who is so humble, has so much knowledge, can do so many wonderful things, yet he humbled himself and went to that cross to die for us, die on that cross. That is an example of being lowly in spirit. Uh, oftentimes, we have the uh, verse said, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Or... Um, not necessarily grace, but there's an, another reading of it if I can get there. Yeah, but gives grace to the humble. And that idea starts in Job 22, 29 is the first mention of that. And then it's, it's repeated in, in some form in Psalm 138, verse 6, Proverbs 3, 34, Matthew 23, 12, 1 Peter 5, 5, and then James 4, 6. All the same idea that God is going to resist the proud. Um, and we don't want to be a proud person. Um, you know, Jesus was humble, and where is he now? He's at the right hand of God. He is sitting at the right hand of God. If we are humble, we one day can be up, can be with God in heaven. If you go there a little bit further in James chapter um, 4, verse 10, it says, Humble yourselves inside the Lord, and he will lift you up. That's the idea. He will lift us up. If we're humble to the end, we're going to be lifted up and we're going to be with God and Jesus in heaven for eternity. A while back, I preached a sermon on Satan's toolbox. And one of those tools that didn't make it in the sermon is pride. You know, pride is one of Satan's tools. And we must avoid it at all costs to be like the Savior. Like I said, Jesus had every reason to be proud, um, yet he was humble. And when we look at ourselves and what we are and what humans are, what good reasons do we have to be proud? Yet many, many, many people, Christians included, are very proud. And that pride will prevent you from doing right and obeying God. So when we think about that, can we sing, Oh, to be like the Savior, lowly in spirit? Now I can get on the notes I actually know I prepared so we're going to move on to holy and harmless, patient and brave. Holy is to be set apart for God to be, as it were, exclusively his. That comes from Thayer's Greek lexicon, exclusively his. This is one of those things that got to me a little bit like we are his. And we know that we sing that. But when you when we think about how we act and way we are as people and humans and we interact with others are we acting like we are his children we are exclusively his peter in writing the pilgrims of the dispersion um, about this about being holy in first peter 1 13 through 16 he says therefore gird up the loins of your mind be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of jesus christ as obedient children not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy, be set apart um, in all your conduct, because, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. He continues to go on there further in chapter 2 and discuss that we are a holy priesthood, okay? We are 
again, set apart, called out. Uh, he says that in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5. And he also says it in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. But you're a chosen generation, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. He says peculiar people in other versions and other portions. Um, sorry, portions of the Bible. Um, so the idea of being holy and harmless, sometimes we can get lost with who we are and what our purpose here on this earth is. There's a lot of people on this earth who their, their purpose is to just cause havoc, chaos and havoc. And that's what they do. And I imagine all of us at some point lost focus on what we are and what we're supposed to be doing from time to time. I know I have. Yeah, we have employment. Some of us are employed now. Some of us have employed in the past. Um, we might coach. This is funny. I was the coach. Renee was not going to be here, but um, some of us might coach. Um, we might have hobbies. We might like to do extracurriculars, but we are first and foremost as Christians, as a children of God set apart for him. We are his. We're not our employers. We are not our activities. We do not belong to anything. We can belong to social groups and uh, different things. Hopefully not too many of those crazy ones. But we do not belong to those. We might participate in them. We are Christians. We are his. If we are his Christians, we are his children, his obedient faith followers who are exclusively his and our focus needs to be on what he requires of us. So many times we get confused and we forget what our purpose is here on earth. We are his. We are holy. We are to live for him. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am living for Christ. So we have home, holy and harmless grouped together there. Harmless is the idea of being innocent. And there is no other person in this world who was perfect and innocent besides Jesus Christ. And I say in this world, obviously God in heaven, but in this world that has walked this earth, he was innocent. Uh, Hebrews 7, 26 and 27 in the first part of verse 26, it says, For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, innocent, there, undefiled, separate from sinners, has become higher than the heavens. Again, he was humble. He's been lifted up. He's higher than the heavens. Who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered, him, offered up himself. So Jesus was innocent of sin. He was harmless. And we need to strive to be innocent of sin, especially sin in the sight of men so that they have nothing to hold against us. There is no, nothing more damaging than a Christian who says they're a Christian who goes out and sins in front of the world because the world looks at them and says, why do I need to be any different? They can go out and sin. They can live that way. What makes them more special than I am? Uh, in Philippians 2, 14 through 6, Peter here says, or Paul, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless, again, innocent children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We can't shine as lights in the world if we are living in sin, if we are not harmless, if we are not innocent. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Now, Jesus tells the disciples to go out 
to the world. It says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Isn't that where we are today? We're in the midst of wolves today. Ravenous wolves who just want to do nothing but destroy anything good. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We have to be that, to be that shining light, we have to be harmless and innocent. And it's also just fitting that within this verse that the author here says that to go with holy and harmless, patient and brave. Because if you're going to be holy and harmless, you better be patient and brave. Because there's going to be a lot of things that are going to come your way. Because we are living in a world of wickedness. We have to learn to endure their ugliness, hate, and false love that they have for everyone. You know, patient is to persevere, endure, bear bravely and calmly. That is not easy for people to do, especially that uh, bear bravely and calmly. That part's not. Most people don't know what calm is. Um, and then we have to be patient in various ways when we look at the scriptures. We have to be patient in tribulation. Romans 12, 12 says rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation. In those trials that come, you, come our way, continuing instant in prayer. We have to be patient toward all men. All men. Not just a few, but to all men. First Thessalonians 5.14 says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Sometimes our patience might be really thin, but we still have to have patience. Um, you know, tell our children or people, you're walking on thin ice. You know, we're going to lose that patience, but we have to have it. Um, we have to be patient unto the coming of the Lord. Oh, there's been people that said, well, the Lord's coming on this day, on this day, this day. They're impatient for it. We have to be patient for it. We have opportunity to live here on this earth, to go out, preach, and teach, and save the world so that they can be in heaven for us. We can be patient for his coming. And we get that from James 5, 7 through 8. First part of 7, it says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. And we get to verse 8. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And we have to be patient of hope in Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 through 3, the end of the verse 3 there says, Patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. We have to be patient. Not an easy thing to say. We laugh sometimes. Be careful what you ask for. If you ask for patience, you're going to get tried. Um, we shouldn't always, like, but we need to be tried sometimes. And we need to work towards that. And we need to be brave. King James here has an interesting saying, quit ye like men. Um, and it's really the only idea of bravery in the Bible here. It says, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. You know, we have to, it's interesting, stand fast in the faith, be brave and be strong. You know, it comes right after the standing fast in the faith because to stand fast in the faith, we have to be brave. We have to be willing to stand there and do it. And when we think about bravery, first and foremost, we think about somebody who is brave, and that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He bravely went to the cross to bear the world's sins that day at Calvary. Paul referenced this verse this morning in our um, Lord's Supper thought. As greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. John 15, 13, Jesus loved us and he was brave enough and strong enough to go to that cross. 
So when we think about that song, oh, to be holy and harmless, patient and brave. Moving on there through verse three, meekly enduring cruel reproaches. Meekly. Um, go back to verse one. We think about that. The very first part, oh, to be like the blessed redeemer. This is my constant longing and prayer. This, the song starts out with like, we're constantly longing and praying to be like Jesus. How many of us meekly or constantly long and pray to endure cruel reproaches? And meekly at that, because that's, that's the more challenging part. I think sometimes we can endure them, but doing it meekly, that's more of a challenge. You know, meek is to be gentle and mild. Gild, seriously. Cruel reproaches. Reproaches to revile, defame, relat, child, chide, taunt. And those that's a mixture of Strong's and Thayer's definitions there. You know, the type of reproach, and that goes back up to, like, being in this world, we're going to have a lot of that defaming, railing, chiding, taunting. If we're going to have those, if we are living innocent in the face of the wicked generation and these wicked people. We're not going to have that if we just float along and do nothing. We have to be willing to live differently and then endure the cruel reproaches that are going to come from that. First Thessalonians four, First Thessalonians four seven through, um, sorry, First Timothy four seven through eleven says, but reject praying. Seriously, give me a new tongue, Russ. But reject profane and old wives' fables, and exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that is now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. Now we have to command and teach that Jesus is the true living God who is the Savior of all men. And when we do that, we are going to suffer reproach. And, and when we stop again, we think about who... Who in the Bible do we know meekly endured cruel reproaches? Who do you think of? I think first, Jesus, right? And secondly, probably Paul. Okay? He went through a lot of cruel reproaches. And Jesus was definitely reviled um, by his own people. We think about his own people in his own house. He went back there to teach and preach. And they rejected him by his own people. How many... People do we know that have become Christians, they go back to teach their family, <coughs> what happens? And one of two things, either they accept it or you get told like I did, you don't worship the same God I do. That's what my parents' response. That's what they're going to do. And that's what was happening to Jesus here is he was going back to his hometown to preach and teach and they didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to hear the truth. Now, later, you can see in scriptures, his brothers were at the crucifixion, so it seems like they did come back to it, but not everybody does. Um, and Jesus was railed, railed at, chided, and taunted at his trial in the crucifixion. Matthew 26, um, 67 through 68, Matthew 27, 27 through 31, and then 39 through 44 all have different things. Um, you know, Matthew 26, they 
spat in his face and beat him, and others struck him with their palms or hands, saying, Prophesy to his Christ, who is the one who struck you? There's a little mockery there, right? Reviling. Matthew 27, in 27 through 31, and it says, 31 says, And when they mocked him, and then verse 39 says, And they blasphemed him. 41 says, Chief priests also mocking with the scribes and elders. 44 says, Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. So I, this is his worst time of his life. He is hanging on the cross, taking on the entire sins and weight of the world. And he's being mocked, reviled, and chided. And yet he is our perfect example of patience and bravery because he did it without complaining or doing anything else. So question is, is we go back to that first one. This is my constant longing and prayer. Are we constantly longing and praying to suffer Cruel reproaches, meekly. I pray I can handle it one one thousandth of as well as Jesus did. Like if I can have that much patience, I, I would be a little bit happier, and maybe a little bit more as time goes on. Um, and maybe my prayer should be that I am bold enough in speaking the truth for this to happen to me more than anything else. Am I being bold enough, like those in Acts chapter um, two, three, and four, who are bold enough? to preach and to suffer and continue to do it. Oh, to be willing to meekly endure cruel reproaches. Verse 3, this might be a four-part sermon. I, we went long tonight already for me. I still got a whole other verse go. We have the words willing to suffer, others to save. If we're going to meekly pray to meekly endure cruel reproaches, we better be willing to suffer. Those go hand in hand. We have to be willing to suffer. To go through that. With, I mean, there's so many things we can go back with this one. We can just always go back to the crucifixion. What Jesus was willing to suffer to save us, to save the world. He went through so much. And I think also about Paul when he talks about that long list of all the things that he has gone through as a minister of Christ, as a teacher of Christ, being shipwrecked, being um, stoned, being left for dead multiple times. Um, be, you know, he had to escape out windows of buildings. He went through a lot. He suffered a lot for others to save. Uh, threw this in there for the kids, for the children. Think about what Christ was willing to do for his father. He was willing to go to the cross to die, to save the world. So I want you to think about that when you decide to whine or complain when you have to do minor, minor chores around the house. Jesus obeyed his father to death on the cross. The least we can do as children of God and children can do for their parents is to obey them when we say, hey, please go take out the trash or clean up your mess. But for all of us, we need to think about what Christ did for us and he does for us before we complain when we were asked to do something, when we're asked to help out with the congregation and with the activities or with just building maintenance, when we're asked to do more than just attend services once or twice a week. What did Jesus do to, for you? And then what are you willing to do for him? What are you willing to do for the church? So we think about that, willing to suffer others to save. Are we willing to die for him? We go back to that 
Um, John 15, 13. No greater love has anyone than to lay down his life for his friends. But, you know, we can take a step back from that. That's kind of the extreme. And we can break it down into smaller pieces. They talk about that, you know, how do you eat an elephant? And they say bite by bite. You know, when you take that back and we look at smaller things, are we willing to teach a class? Are we willing to have a Bible study? It might be uncomfortable. We might not know all the answers, but are you willing to do it? Um, are you willing to lead a prayer? Just tell somebody about Jesus. He died for us all and the loss of the world. And these things are small. Teaching a class is small. Leading a prayer is something small comparison to what he did for us. So we need to think about that. Are we willing to do those minor things? And they say minor. Teaching somebody is a big deal. But it's an important thing that we need to do. Oh, to be willing to suffer others to save. So closing out there with verse 3. Oh, to be likely, lowly in spirit, holy and harmless, patient and brave, meekly enduring cruel reproaches, willing to suffer others to save. Moving on to verse 4. Oh, to be like thee, Lord, I am coming now to receive the anointing divine. All that I am and have I am bringing, Lord, from this moment, all shall be thine. This one's a fun verse to kind of break down, and we'll look at the anointing divine. We look at this in two ways. Um, actually, we're supposed to be looking, Lord, I am coming. And are we coming to the obedience of the Lord, or two, we are coming to meet the Lord in heaven? I would think when we look at the verse as a, the song as a whole, um, I've been applying it to life as a Christian, but when you kind of get to that last verse and you think about everything before, you can um, look at it as we're coming to obedience to the Lord. I say, Lord, I am coming. And I, I go with that because of how the whole verse plays out. And part of that is for the, the anointing divine. Well, the anointing divine would be the salvation that comes through the obedience to the word, the cleansing of sin by the contact of blood. We know that blood cleanses and blood purifies. We read that through Romans 6, chapter 1 through 4, um, when we are buried with him through baptism. We are buried into his death, buried into that, and we come in contact with his blood. And we do that to become priests to the Lord. We looked back that earlier, we're looking at it to be holy, holy priesthood. We are holy priests. The priests and prophets and kings of old were anointed with oil and consecrated and hallowed in the eyes of God. And we are, when we are cleansed in the water gave of baptism, we are anointed. We are become priests and priestesses, if you want to say that for the females. But nonetheless, we are part of the priesthood of God. And so... We, they've done that. And for those here that who might not be a Christian, we ask yourself, are you ready to meet that Lord? You, you sang that song, but are you really singing that song with the idea that I am ready to come and meet the Lord? Um, and those of us who have already saved and stayed, are we ready to meet the Lord at judgment? Can we look at all those words and all those ideas of this song and say that all of those apply to us and that's how I have been and that's who I am? You know, Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed men to die once, but after this, the judgment. You know, we're going to be judged when we die. And if we're singing this song, we're supposed to be singing with understanding. Are we being everything that this song says? Um, and if we die tonight, would we be able to meet the Lord? All that we have 
Um, all that we are and all that we have, we are bringing to the Lord. Struggled with this one a little bit, trying to figure out how to apply this one and the idea behind it. And I went back to Acts chapter 2 and then Acts chapter 4 for the first part. There's great examples of having all that we have and giving it to the Lord. Acts chapter 2, it says, then um, going on in verse 44, starting in verse 42, but for time's sake, we're just going to look at 44. Now all those who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. They brought everything they had, sold it to provide for everybody else, to give to the church. We've talked about that in Bible class uh, when we were studying Acts a couple months ago, and we'll pick back up in that in January. Acts chapter 4, they were doing it again. The the Christians had grown. The church had grown from three to 5,000, according to the numbers there. So they, whoever had possessions of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and distributed to each one as anyone had need. We talked about this Bible class. This wasn't socialism. This was as you had need. And people did it willingly, sold it willingly to provide for those who had need. It's a great example of physical possessions providing for Others around us, being there for others. And then we can go and look at it as, what about our abilities? Do we bring our abilities to the Lord? Do we offer help in ways that are needed for the local congregation to grow and thrive? Or are we holding back of what we can give to Christ and give to the church? Remember, we go back to Galatians 2.20. We no longer live, but Christ lives in us. What we need to be doing is for the benefit of the church, is the benefit for the kingdom, not for the benefit of us and how we feel and what we want. We live for Christ. He is ours, holy, set apart for him, exclusively his. He is, we are his. You know, Christ gave everything on the cross. We've talked about that. Are you holding back from everything that you can give to the Lord? You know, we no longer live for ourselves. We've talked about that before God and Christ's church. We're commanded to, there's a whole long list of these, and there's more in the scriptures, but we're commanded to teach, be hospitable, be compassionate, to love, to be kind, to pray continually, um, to be affectionate, to rejoice, to bless, to warn, to comfort, to uphold, to, to be patient, and more and more and more. I couldn't get them all in there. I could have, but I'd just be naming stuff in the next five minutes because there's just so much that we have that we need to do so do you have one or more of these abilities that are being used for the church or if we phrase another way do you have one or more of these abilities that are not being used for the church we need to be willing to do that oh to be ready to bring all and have to god and then all to all shall be thine we've discussed galatians 2:20 already more than once and all should already be thine. Galatians 6, or not Galatians 6, Romans 6, 5 through 6, continues after Romans 6, 1 through 4, talking about coming in contact with the blood. It says, For if we've been united together in the likeness of our death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. We're not slaves of sin. We are children of God. And what we have... And what we do in our life should be because of that. The world is crucified to us. We are not to be living in the world anymore. 
Galatians 6, 14 says, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We're no longer to live for ourselves, but to Christ. I've said it many times, but it's a point that has to be made. And it's a point that applies to everyone. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who, sh- that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. 2 Corinthians 5, 14-15. Those who live should live no longer for themselves. We do a lot of things for ourselves in this world. Some things are necessary. We went to lunch today. That was necessary. I did that for myself. I needed food. But there's a lot of things that we do selfishly that are not good for us and are not good for the church and are not good for the kingdom. I We went to... Uh, I was laughing the other day. We went to Sepulpa for the uh, gospel meeting to hear B.J. Clark. And the people there were like, you know, so glad to have you. So encouraging. Because it's so nice to go. We enjoy it when people come to Lagoff for the gospel meeting at different events. And I, people enjoy it. And I just kind of laughed. I said, yeah, we need a tagline that says, we'll travel for a gospel meeting. And I, I do. We love, we love traveling for them and going to see them. But when you get there and you, you know there's so many other people that could be there. That could be there during the week to hear the truth, to encourage and exhort the brethren, and they're doing what they want to be doing. And I'll admit, I didn't go on Tuesday night either. So uh, we had classes, we're taking OABS. But there's other things that we could go to and we could be involved with. Um, But we need to have that idea of, I'm not living for myself. I'm living for Christ. I'm living for the church. And what do I need to do? What can I do every single day for the church and for the kingdom? And some people might look like, well, that's restricting. But we look at Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. We are made alive. We are taken out of sin and we are made alive to Christ. We have something to live for. We have something to strive for. And we know we're going to be rewarded for that when we get in heaven. Oh, to be like the Lord, I am coming now to receive the anointing divine. All that I am and have I am bringing, Lord, from this moment, all shall be thine. So we, we finish this. I don't think I'll go through the uh, chorus on another lesson. But we must understand what we're eating and seeing. There's a lot of songs in this songbook. Um, for some of my sermons, I plan on going through them. I don't know how many of them would be two parts. This one was meatier than I expected it to be when I started it. But the words matter that what we're singing If they're teaching falsely, we don't sing them. I visit places sometimes when you travel and they start singing a song and just sit there in silence. Silence. Because it's not a scriptural song. Um, Sometimes they're teaching hard things. But maybe we need to stop and consider what we're singing, what we are saying, and what that means if we're going to sit there and say say it. So I ask you, can you sit here tonight and truly say that all these things we have discussed over the last two sermons are what you desire. We'll go back to that first verse. Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, this is my constant longing and prayer. And then it lists out all the t- things in there about the Savior. When we read that, can we say that is what we want? And I pray that it is. And that goes for all of us, and us includes me. 
that that's what we want and that's who we want to be. If not, we have a wonderful avenue to one, come into Christ and to be baptized and to come to that moment when we say, all shall be thine. We had a wonderful moment Sunday night when my daughter said, all shall be thine. She said, I'm committing. And that's a blessing. Now, more pressure on me. That's what I told my wife. I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> Not like there wasn't before, but you know, there's, there's responsibility that comes with that for her and for us. And we have that opportunity always at the end of a service, at any time really, if somebody needs to, to be baptized. But then when we sing this song and we think, I, this is not me, this is not who I've been. This is not my constant longing in prayer. My constant longing in prayer has been more selfish. We also have the avenue of prayer to come forward when we stand and sing to ask God for forgiveness, ask for encouragement, ask for prayers of the church. Went to Long Island, New York on a gospel for a vacation Bible school slash mission trip one time with college. And this was, it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. It was a black congregation. And man, they lined up along the wall come the invitation song, asking for prayers and encouragement. I've never seen that anywhere else besides that congregation. And they did it every single night of the gospel meeting we were holding. You go to some congregations and you know people in that congregation are struggling because you might be having personal conversations with them and they're not willing to come forward and to use this powerful tool of everybody sitting in the congregation to pray for them because there's power in prayer and I want us to think about that and consider that if we are struggling you have everybody in this congregation that's willing to pray for you and not going to embarrass you not going to shame you but pray for you and help you make it through those struggles if you are in need, either to repent of your sins and come back to the Lord and say, I haven't been trying to be like Christ, or if you're in need of coming to Christ at this time, we're going to stand and sing.